Hi, everyone, and welcome to Another Kind of Wealth podcast with me, Lottie Leaf. I'm the founder of the Jura Society, a platform and private client consultancy focused on crafting a deeper connection between wealth and wellness. We aim to inspire and educate women to take control of their financial future. I have the pleasure of being able to speak with some of the best in the business, and now I get to share this with you. So come on in and join us as we hear all about today's topic. Good afternoon all, hope you're well. I'm delighted to be here for the next part In Conversation series. I'm very shortly going to be inviting Rebecca Brown in from Empowered to come and talk to us all about midlife and menopause. So let me just get her in again. There we go. You're all enjoying beautiful sunshine. And we're just going to wait for Rebecca to come in now. Hello. Hello there, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm very well as well. Thank you. Um, so lighting in here is not very good, but never mind. You look No, fantastic. not at all. But also, I'm really glad that we're finally getting to talk. Yeah. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this. And I was just giving a little bit of a, a background on um, what we're talking about today. But I'm very delighted to have uh, Rebecca talking all about her nutritional supplements for menopausal women. Um, and I'm sure she'll give you a much, much more concise explanation of how she is helping women and her experiences and the negatives and the pros and her mission now to really get people talking about the menopause and midlife because I think from my understanding is it's not talked about enough. Not enough women know what the symptoms are and what they can do to help to regulate or to, to, to manage some of the symptoms as well. So Rebecca, over to you, I guess. Could you, yeah, tell us about you, your experience and, and your reason for creating Empowder. Wow, big question. Uh, so yeah, so um, the reason for creating Empowder was, was kind of a, a happy accident in the sense that I went into perimenopause, um, like many women, about 75% um, of us, in fact, I sort of heard hurtled into menopause, not really knowing that that was what was happening to me. I ended up in my doctor's surgery. Um, and again, like around 75% of women who do visit their doctors, because I was 43 and I was uh, an ambitious woman, I was juggling career, household responsibilities, teenagers, aging parents. Quite often that can get misdiagnosed as, as burnout or depression. So my symptoms were broad enough for me to be curious to find out what was actually happening with my body. And I didn't want to just leave the doctor's surgery and sort of accept that this was just the way my life was going to be. Um, and that led me down um, a very convoluted route to kind of learn about the biochemical stages that our bodies go through in midlife. And I think it's fair to say, you know, you were referencing it in your introduction that Although the conversation about menopause has grown, you know, in the UK, actually, we're incredibly lucky. When I talk to my peers in the States, there's a very different dialogue happening over here, over here to there. But in the UK, what we're seeing at the moment is a real grassroots um, sort of lobbying and rallying call to make menopause something that is far more um, understood by society as a whole. Because although it's obviously something that happens to 51% of our um, our population, it actually affects everybody. Um, and if we're not taught about it in schools, which until last year, there, were, there was no uh, legislation that meant that it was part of your biology lesson. If it's not part of mental health in work, 
which it currently isn't. So one in five women end up leaving the workplace. And if doctors aren't given the, the tools to diagnose what is a very complex biochemical stage, and again, currently, if you're lucky as a GP, you receive, receive around four hours of training. And even gynecologists who we expect to be the front of all knowledge in terms of uh, the female body and particularly our reproductive system, about 20% of, of gynecological courses cover menopause currently. So 80% of those specialists that you will go and see uh, with regards to this significant life stage are unlikely to have been formally trained in the topic unless they go and pay and undertake additional training for themselves which is really hard you know and so um my experience was was really typical so I, I left that doctor surgery with nothing and i left it with this sort of niggling sense that there was something going on with my body that i needed to sort out and i think because i'm a researcher by trade i did what i instinctively do whenever i come across something that bothers me i did some research and the more research I did into menopause aside from those startling statistics that I just shared with you that just made me very cross for quite a while um, I discovered a whole body of, of evidence around the potential of functional food the potential of holistic interventions and also the the huge benefit that medicine can bring and I think we are of a generation here in the UK and this this is true um, across the globe that the perception of HRT was incredibly damaged by a report that was produced 20 years ago that has now been shown to be highly inaccurate in, in the way that that research was extrapolated. But we've kind of got this shadow, this sort of like um, expectation that HRT is going to cause cancer, it's going to you know, shorten our lifespan, it's going to bring with it all kinds of issues and concerns, whereas actually that really isn't the case. So following sort of six months of me researching for my own selfish desire to get better, I sort of sat in my kitchen and thought something needs to happen. You know, there wasn't at the time as much dialogue as we're seeing now, but also, and I think this still is the case, there wasn't enough investment and focus on menopause. So as a woman transitioning through it, it felt like you were sort of entering a black hole where the brands were no longer talking to you. They used to talk to you quite merrily before. Um, the supplement aisle in, in the health food store, if you've ever wandered down the menopause bit, if you can even find it, it feels like it's kind of like an end of life category. It hasn't, it hasn't moved on since the 1980s. It feels, it just feels like, yeah, it's just been left in a dusty corner. And I think a women feel like they're left in a dusty corner when they, when they hit menopause, we feel, so it was suddenly invisible. And so I decided with all of this research that I wanted to do something with it. And that really was the beginning of, of, of our business. And to begin with, the intention really was to learn what women wanted and what their experiences were and whether mine was, you know, unusual, what had they tried, what had worked, what hadn't worked. Um, and as we sort of get started getting these stories in from women, what I realized was that any business, I think, going into this space has a responsibility to to actually sort of provide a platform for women. You know, it needs to be something where women's voices are amplified rather than just being sold stuff. Because again, by this life stage, we've been sold an awful lot of stuff. And also we've probably tried quite a lot of stuff for menopause that hasn't worked. Um, so we went from being a community that kind of researched and, and collated stories essentially to a community that started co-creating products and solutions. And so we work with medical doctors and naturopaths all of our products are then trialed within our community. And it's those women that drive our direction of travel. They feed back on whether it's actually working for them. They feed back on taste, on branding, on messaging. 
when we're running programs and workshops, they will decide what they want us to research next and what kind of topics are most important to them. And that's really important to me that, that this is a kind of a collective effort to reframe midlife and menopause, but also to kind of deliver solutions because we're busy women and we remain ambitious and vital and you know we deserve to live life to the full and I think that is entirely achievable but you do need the tools and the rigor around the tools that are available to sort of feel confident to, to introduce them to your life. Yeah and I love that community aspect that you've got that it's not just you dictating this is what my experience was and this is what worked for me so I'm going to feed that to you. It's yeah. This is the problem I've identified, and I'm sure that there are going to be plenty more of you who have similar experiences. Let's collectively do this together, and I'm creating a platform for you. And I think that is really, really, really helpful for so many people. And as you said, we're sick of being sold stuff. We want to feel part of something, and especially when it's to do with our bodies, which we already are losing control of because of these hormones. If you, and you know, you can't go to the GPs, you need to find something holistic. Being part of the, the progress of that is just a brilliant concept. So, yeah, well done. Thank you. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, think, I think the thing is, the, the, the encouraging thing is that women, when they come together, you know, there's two things I've, I've noticed and been really heartened by with our community. One is there's a huge generosity of spirit. So most women um, who've transitioned through menopause and have now sort of seen their hormones plateau and are sort of living that second spring, as it's referred to in Chinese medicine, they they desperately want to tell you their story they want you to know what they didn't know when they were sort of entering this this life stage and they want to ensure that other people don't struggle perhaps in the same way as they have and they also want to point to the fact that this is a really li liberating moment in life if we can if we can get the tools around us to feel well and I think that's a really important message to convey as well so that's always really struck me that sort of generosity of spirit but also women when they come together are pretty unstoppable as well and I think that's what's really exciting <laughs> about the the menopause space at the moment is that it's uh it's a space where people are making stuff because they can't find it and you're absolutely right there's a there's a desire for the for the people experiencing the issues and the problems and the challenges to be the ones finding the solution rather than this coming down sort of this top-down approach that we're often given as women in terms of how we should behave and how we should look after our bodies and what our bodies are there to do it's actually incredibly empowering to give women agency to say these these are the options open to you you know pick the one that works for you because as we've learned with um pregnancy um you know if we've been lucky enough to get pregnant or we've chosen to get pregnant um everyone's experience of, of that journey is entirely different and it took a long long time for us to work out that we needed to wrap around that fertility sector sort of diverse options and choices and journeys and not judge you know women in, in terms of how they want to manage that transition i think the same is required with the menopause space yeah, and I think that's really, really so refreshing to see that actually, and from a, from an investment point of view as well, because obviously my background with the finance, but looking at all of these companies across the globe that are actually coming through, and, and I don't know whether or not, it, I know that you are a, a COVID baby, but it seems that actually right now there's a huge <laughs> wave of brilliant sort of uh, menstrual products or menopausal products and I don't know whether it's because we've all kind of like gone back into our homes and we've had time to think and maybe we haven't had too many external pressures that we've had more of a consultative collaborative process from being isolated perhaps that mm. now I don't know if you've seen any sort of correlation between it. No I mean that's a yeah it's a really interesting comment and um, I mean just to put it in context although we're seeing this kind of explosion in terms of menopause tech or, or menopause health you know still yeah. 
Femtech is still, what, 2.2% of VC dollars uh, invested in the last year. It's actually dipped from the year before. And of that Femtech uh, dollar, a tiny 5% is spent on menopause. So menopause as a category has got ridiculous sort of um, sizing numbers against it, you know, in terms of its potential. But the interesting thing is, it's it's a real challenge still for menopause orientated businesses to convince VCs that it's not a niche, you know, that 51% of the population <laughs> isn't niche. Um, yeah. And it's, so I get very, I get very frustrated. I'm very energized by the fact there are a lot of products coming to market and a lot of um, sort of interesting tech plays that are coming to market as well. I think there's a democratization of the private healthcare route. Um, so in the UK, you know, my experience with the NHS was a typical one and it's, it's not the doctor's fault. You know, it's, it's down to the syllabuses, it's down to the 10 minute appointments that they, they struggle with and the complexity of the, the life stage. Um, so what often happens is you either put up and shut up or you save up and you go and see a private doctor and that's not available to everyone. That's a really expensive process to go through. Um, and so you're seeing this democratization happening online where digital clinics are, are springing up, offering consult consultative um, programs. And I think that's a really, really interesting area. But we do also need, rather than just sort of transplanting some of the offers that exist in real life onto the digital uh, marketplace, we do need true innovation. And I think what was fascinating about doing a raise um, as, as Mpowder was the reticence around actually putting money behind something that needs needs money to prove itself you know so our trial activity in a way has been down to the need to prove that our products work which i think is absolutely critical you shouldn't just be selling stuff in the menopause space it's a critical life stage so you need that proof but you need the investment to get the proof and you're kind of stuck in this weird sort of Kafkaesque model <laughs> where you can't you can't get the proof because you haven't got the money to get the proof but they're not going to invest because you haven't got the proof um so i think well, it's really fascinating you're going to be the one to open the floodgates here and once people see that there's proof in the pudding it's going to suddenly <laughs> explode yeah and no, i think i think that is also fascinating <laughs> that actually swayed your investors were they, you know, they male or female, or was there anything? Yeah, I mean, to be, I think what we ended up with, I mean, we were our first raise was a very small raise, so we raised around half a million during COVID as well, which was really tough for people because, um, you know, if you look, remember that climate, which feels like a lifetime ago, but you know, the the economic shock initially when when the world went into lockdown was was significant. A lot of angel investors had you know, quite significant losses in that very short period before things stabilized again. And that was just what I was trying to talk to them. Uh, so my timing wasn't great. I mean, the thing that was fascinating for me and anyone who's listening has been through a, um, a raise will know that you kind of get about 30 minutes uh, with, with, a, with an investor. Invariably, the investor turns out to be male. Invariably, they're sort of younger than me because I'm an older investor, uh, older founder. Um, and what I, what I discovered was I had to accept that 10 of my precious 30 minutes would be spent educating them on what menopause was. So mm -hmm. you, you couldn't avoid going into those sessions. And it was almost like a confessional. The only way I could kind of prick the discomfort and make everyone smile was to sort of start every session with, hello, you know, my name's Rebecca and I'm perimenopausal. Uh, and then I'd kind of explain what that meant. And then, and then what was fascinating about it was you know, over that conversation, you'd see these, these little light bulbs go off and, you know, these guys would be saying things like, do you know what? I didn't think my mum had any issue with menopause, but that was when she left her job or that was when, 
stuff was really tough at home. I was a teenager and there was real tension in the house. Or, you know, that's when divorce happened. Well, that's when, you know, someone had a breakdown. Um, and so you, you ended up sort of needing to do that in order to then have a conversation about why it was important because it feels like a niche topic until you give them a little hint of what those symptoms are. And then they you can almost see them recalling their own childhood or their own relationships with aunts or, or friends or, or whatever. Um, and so I ended up with a group of investors that I'm, I'm, you know, feel really privileged to have around the business because they're sort of purpose driven individuals and they've all been almost like strategic investors. So they brought their brains as well as their their funds to, to the company. And that's been incredibly helpful. So, you know, the co-founder of Mumsnet is on the cap table. Uh, one of the first kind of um, female-focused VCs is on the cap table. And I was incredibly lucky to be part of an accelerator scheme that was really helpful. So, yeah, so it's been, it, it was a real learning curve for me. And I think I'm hoping actually that the last 24 months have seen an opening up of menopause as a topic and that, that will make future uh, innovators going into this space, you know, have an easier time. <laughs> I'm really excited about this. And, and I know that we have spoken about um, some of the symptoms, but could you explain? Because I, as well, I'm going to put my hands up, literally didn't even know what the menopause was a few years ago. Yeah. Like, no, I'm 53, <laughs> and I'm just like, that what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? What? No. No, I know. And have. Like, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, you're not alone. You're not alone, Lottie. Because you're no. like, I'm never going to need it. I'm, it's never going to happen to me. But actually, could you explain? There's there's three sort of cycles, aren't there? Yeah. So I think I mean, yeah. I mean, your your preconception is 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 completely normal. You know, that's what I think. That's what we all feel. And then there's that sense of outrage when it happens. It's like, why did no one tell me? Um, but yeah. So <laughs> there are there are by it is a biochemical life stage. You know, it and it begins um, around the age of forty three. You know, statistics are dangerous, um, but. Um, around the age of 43 for about 10 percent of us it may start a lot earlier really from your sort of mid to late 30s your hormone cycle starts to change and then as you head into your 40s the, the progesterone and the estrogen bit go from this sort of cyclical pattern that you know if you've had a, a healthy menstrual cycle which a lot of us again don't actually but you know if you have had a regular cycle um you will suddenly find yourself experiencing new symptoms as a result of those hormone fluctuations. And for some women, about 15 to 20% of women, they will sail through the perimenopause and really not notice it very much. But for the majority of us will notice anything from psychological um, changes. So mood swings are, are often talked about, but that, that really is dismissive of what occurs. It can feel incredibly destabilizing to have periods of, of really, really short fuse followed by periods of feeling really euphoric and that's our hormones. And, and the thing that we, we often don't understand is that hormones impact every single cell in your body. So it impacts your gut. So you might suddenly find yourself bloated or having food intolerances that you never had before. It impacts your skin. So you might find yourself having hormonal outbreaks or rosacea that you didn't have before or eczema. Your hair might start thinning. Your bones could ache. Um, you could have issues with sleep, with um, hot flashes. So there, there's officially around 34 symptoms cited when you sort of go into the doctor for menopause but actually there's about 48 49 and we're finding out all the time additional things where because it hasn't been a, an area researched fully um new evidence comes to light quite regularly where people join the dots and go okay that that's also associated with with, um, with menopause and then to your point about the the sort of biochemical stages perimenopause i always like to describe it a little bit like again if you've if you've had the experience of being pregnant the first trimester is often one where you feel the worst 
but you don't tell anyone because kind of socially in the UK, that's considered to be sort of bad luck. And you're, you're wanting to have that security that the baby is going to be safe and well. And perimenopause is almost like that first trimester. It, it's the, the period where you can often feel the worst. And it's often the bit that we're not told about. So most of us have heard of the menopause and we expect that to happen in our early 50s. But that perimenopausal phase, because the sort of the, the, the breadth of symptoms are so broad, um, that was a really terrible sentence, the breadth is so broad. But anyway, the, the, because the symptoms are so broad, uh, it's really hard to join the dots, you know. So for me, I, I was anxious, I wasn't sleeping, I put on weight, my skin was terrible, I was just exhausted all the time. You know, I completely understand that a doctor would look at that, and I was 43, and say, well, you're burnt out, look at your, your lifestyle, you're running at 110 miles an hour, this isn't sustainable. Actually, what's happening is, is you need some time, time away and some rest, which wasn't wrong, but actually wasn't reflective of what my body was going through. And then, so that's perimenopause. So from around your early 40s until, again, statistics being dangerous, sort of 51, 52 uh, in the West tends to be when our menopause occurs. And the unhelpful thing about the term menopause is it really is just a, a, a moment in time. It's the 12 month anniversary since your last bleed. So very few of us as women know when that is, because I, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> no, and, and, the, and the struggle, a lot of women in our community as well, you know, we'll, we'll get to like month eight or month nine of no bleed, and then they might have a cycle, and then it begins again. So, so it really is, it's a sort of a moment in time that then basically says that you're, you're no longer ovulating, you're, you're, you're no longer producing eggs, and then from that point onwards, you're postmenopause. And postmenopause, again, isn't particularly helpful as a term because effectively that's the rest of your life. That's just aging, uh, aging well. And you'll, you'll see, again, I think the other um, misconception that often occurs is I was describing that roller coaster of hormones that happen um, in your perimenopause phase. That can continues so it's not like your menopause happens then you wake up and all symptoms have gone and everything's fine it can it, it, yeah it, it takes a while no for things to settle settle back down and with menopause which is again a really important point come all kinds of um increased risk factors for our bodies in terms of um sort of our propensity and risk for disease so whether that's cardiovascular disease or, or bone density loss and osteoporosis diabetes um, so a number of things become harder for women to protect themselves against because of that hormonal change and that depletion what did you say can you imagine if men had this oh yeah yeah it would be entirely i'm sure we would have fixed it uh oh. if men had, men. So <laughs> well, it's the same with childbirth right yeah frustrating and and yeah. also what's annoying is that this is happening when you're going to be at the peak of your career traditionally yeah. as well and that's yeah. the, as you were saying that's why you'd be told oh no it's burnout it's like yeah. no my body being really annoying <laughs> yeah and I think and, and to your point about being really annoying I think it's fascinating I do think that there's a, there's a sort of seismic shift happening with with a younger generation of women um who is more informed about their hormones and about their bodies and, and feeling more empowered and of, of, of their femaleness. And I think my generation certainly was taught that it was, was a massive inconvenience. You know, your period was a massive inconvenience. You know, if you've got a really sort of um, aggressive career trajectory that you were aiming for, even pregnancy could feel like an inconvenience, you know, um, and you'd hide your femaleness. You know, you'd slip your tampon up your sleeve to go to the toilet in the office because no one could know that you were, you know, Goodness, no one could know that you were menstruating. No, exactly. Can you imagine? Uh, and it's it's really bad for us because it it means that you're constantly suppressing what it is to be 
female. And I think the interesting thing is the growing research around hormones and, and sort of an increased focus on um, sort of almost liberating us as, as females, that younger generation, those millennials, are beginning to see the potential of harnessing hormones you know so we're learning that you know if you exercise at different points in your cycle in different ways it you know you build muscles yeah uh, it, it, and it's, i think that's really exciting because um you know if you can reframe the way you view your hormones uh one you have a much sort of healthier happier life but also as you head into menopause when things start to change you're much better equipped to understand why that's happening i think one of the most frightening things about menopause is when you don't know what's happening to your body there's nothing worse than not knowing what's going on and you know that's the scandal really is that it's it's relatively straightforward to explain to people and educate people as to, to what's happening we just hadn't we just hadn't had that information through so it, it's really exciting so i think what's happening at the moment is a, a complete opening up of the floodgates there's a lot of information online now some amazing doctors delivering really really rich content on everything from medical protocols like HRT which can be amazing right through to more holistic practices and that understanding again like any phase of our life you need to layer up the interventions there is no silver bullet it's not like you know acupuncture is going to fix it it's not like our powders fix it we're really clear that we're not a silver bullet either um, but if you can kind of take agency of your health and look into the options that are available for you, you 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 will work out what works for you and I think with the right support around you this this life stage can go from feeling like something really quite horrible and that's a real issue as well because who wants to find out about menopause when it sounds that hideous um that then if we can reframe that then people be so much better equipped and so much better coming out the other side as well i think i think that is so true and especially it is the the unknown unknowns as well because as you say we're not told about it there hasn't been that much sort of like engaging research before there's not been platforms like what you've been creating um and hormones are you can't see them you don't know when they're coming and once it's there it's like you've already got the symptoms it's not like you're like oh it's gonna come let me do something it's like yeah. it's already you and, and again and i've told you before when i've got my endometriosis and so i have held with hormones and i'm like well, yeah i it's really frustrating and i can you know completely empathize with anybody who goes through anything where you can't see it and yeah. you don't it's happening and it controls you from the inside so having something that is nutritionally beneficial for you as well and that is able to control the symptoms is brilliant where it's not just medicine and it's not surgery and it's you know it's a little bit more gentle for you um to help you navigate that yeah no absolutely and i think you know as, as i said earlier i think the, the best way to approach this life stage is is with a curious mind and and to start early so you have the optimism and the energy to try and, and find out what works for you. It gets so much harder, you know, when you hit rock bottom, it's so hard to kind of pull yourself back and be your own champion and cheerleader and get back into the doctor's surgery and have the conversations because you're so depleted. And so I think the more conversations we can have with people earlier about what options are available to them, the more we can destigmatize the medicine that's on, on offer, the more we can encourage people to look at what's on their plate and at their lifestyles um you know the better it's going to be and i think you know back to my point about it being a societal issue it's really exciting when you get these <clears throat> these moments where you're able to talk about a topic and i i absolutely you know endorse the fact that next month is is 
uh, National Menopause Month. Um, but I think, I think, you know, it would be wonderful if this became something that didn't need a month, because actually we don't need a fertility month. Um, and it's, it, it needs to be normalized as, as uh, a topic and it needs to be supported in the same way that other life stages are supported. You know, and, and again, to your point around, you know, should men, uh, you know, uh, struggle with some of the struggles that women struggle with, with within their health uh, journeys, just by virtue of being female. Um, it feels like things would have had attention far quicker. And I think, you know, for, for me, when I think about society and, um, you know, the role that we play as, as individuals, what's really frustrating is it, you, you kind of, you, you move up your career, you probably have to sort of break through a glass ceiling of sorts. Most of us have, have experienced that. And then you hit this menopause wall, effectively. And not only do you lose phenomenal women from the workplace uh, during these menopausal years, you also limit the ambitions of the women coming through the door who are younger because they look up and they can't see themselves. You know, they can't see themselves in those positions of, of power and responsibility. And although the sort of stats point to sort of one in five, I, I actually, when I talk to our community, I think so many more women just take a little bit of a pay cut and maybe work fewer hours or decide to sort of step away from that next rung on the career ladder, not because they want to, but because they feel not capable of doing it because their, their mind's all over the place. They can't feel confident their body's going to do what they want it to do. And they, they get, they get incredibly, as I did, incredibly anxious. And so I think actually there's, there's so much more going on in work that we don't even see because women don't tell you, you know, again, when you talk to people, they're not having those conversations in work. It's not a comfortable conversation to have. Well, HR don't really care. No, well, I think the interesting thing with HR is um, uh, that they, is, it, I think it's changing, to be fair, but I think it will change um, and it needs to change beyond the kind of tick box of then having an HR policy for menopause. So that's not necessarily, and that's helpful, but that's not necessarily the end point for, for what women need in terms of support. And it's a mental health issue, you know, it's a diversity and inclusion issue, it's a gender issue. They're so, it, it kind of, and it's an ageism issue, it kind of hits so many things that we're trying to deal with as a society yeah oh well it's fantastic so in terms of um your products as well it's getting back to that so could you explain a little bit about you know how you take them what 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 the ingredients you know what what, what is it that you uh, have created yeah so there's um there's two blends in market at the moment the third one is is going into trial early next year um and basically the philosophy behind the blends is to try and pack as much as we can in terms of the nutritional hit that your bodies need at those different stages and the selection criteria in terms of the ingredients was we look to the research that exists um, and it's always limited uh, especially in the naturopathic space um, but there is growing evidence around the potential but that's why we then put our stuff into uh, trial with our community so the peri boost is is for women that are starting to experience um, symptoms of perimenopause. So again, our community tend to be women around the age of 42, 43 plus. And the blends were created with a medical doctor who specializes also in functional medicine, a lady called Dr. Molka, and also Dr. Martins, who's a naturopath and herbalist with a, with a science background. And that was really important to me because I wanted that rigor applied. And the supplement space is a really tricky one to operate in. And it's almost one that we're a little bit uncomfortable about sometimes because it's not regulated enough. And so you have to do the due diligence yourself as best you can. And obviously as a startup, that, that's not a cheap thing to do. So our blends are basically the brainchild of, of those two phenomenal women that I've just described and, and then the input of our community. Um, and the Peri Boost has 
over 24 ingredients. I think, you know, as far as I'm aware, many more um, ingredients in botanicals than any other menopause product in market. And we um, focus in on the Moldavian dragonhead, which is a wonderful member of the mint family that has some really interesting research behind it around collagen production. So it's not a collagen powder, but it actually stimulates um, sort of uh, your skin plumpness and elasticity and hair regrowth. And we've seen some really exciting uh, results from that. It's got moringa in it. It's got cacao. It's got ginger. It's got cinnamon. It's got. It's really hard to pick your favourite bits from it, but yeah. it's it's a really rich blend. And you take it a bit like you would a protein powder. So the periboost has actually got a lot of protein and fibre and a lot of whole food ingredients in it as well, because that's the best way to kind of ensure the bioavailability of, of what you're putting into your body. Um, but you can take it with, you know, I take mine in the morning with sort of a, a handful of ice, oh, half a banana, some berries. Most incredible product. You've got some verification there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where we're, when people find us, it's really, it's so heartwarming because obviously all of this has been a purpose-driven initiative and the Menno Boost launched in um in May and that one's really interesting because it's it's less heavy as a blend so it hasn't got the same um kind of feel to it you can actually put the Menno Boost and Lisa will probably correct me here but you can just have it with water you can put it into your yogurt you can sort of like stir it into your porridge in the morning the idea is that if we could hook it to a ritual that you already have it makes it so much easier to kind of commit to taking it every day and then the Menno Boost is it's quite earthy in flavor it's got um, ashwagandha in it which is really really helpful oh there you go Lisa's saying she has it in porridge yeah <laughs> um, yeah it's good I mean it's kind of the, the other interesting thing about blends which is definitely something to flag is that they are so they're sort of they're functional so one of the key things that that happens to our bodies as I was describing earlier is that our stomach acid production um, decreases um, as a result of the hormone uh, fluctuations that we see in midlife and that can really impact on your ability to break down and digest food which is why often we end up with bloating or IBS symptoms that we didn't have before and things like that and when we came to design our blends <clears throat> the advice we had was that you need it to be um, a little bit bitter you know don't mask it with flavors so you know don't make it taste of banana or strawberry or anything like that allow those ingredients to kind of breathe because what it does is it prepares your body for something sort of um, savory and um, bitter going into your stomach and that produces acid uh, and that allows you to absorb it better so for some people coming onto our blends to begin with they will need support from our uh, health concierge and the kind of the recipes that our community develop because it tastes a bit like a green juice would you know so they're not I mean the cacao I find quite quite nice but some people find it more bitter than they'd, they'd, they'd want. And so you, you can kind of play with it a little bit. Um, and that's quite an important part as well, that the, there's a sort of flexibility with these powders that you can put them into protein balls, you can make pancakes, you can do all kinds of things with them, which again, I hope means that we won't sort of end up in people's cupboards as one of those those bottles that's sort of half half full that you can't remember why you bought it in the first place. So, um, so yeah, so that's what our powders do. So Perry is for uh, perimenopause, the Perry Boost. And then once you've had your menopause, then the Meno Boost is the product in market for you now. And then the final foundational range powder that we'll be launching next year is for the post-boost years, once you've settled down. And that's a really exciting blend. That's got all kinds of nootropics in that focus on brain health and kind of mitigating against some of the risk factors around Alzheimer's and just, just staying well beyond bone density because bone density is, is inherent and so is cardiovascular health into, into all the work we do. But if you again, if you go back to the menopause aisle, it can feel like that's the only thing that, that matters is our 
hips and our our heart and I really want us to be thinking about how we age well you know how do we want to be how how do we ensure that we eat in a way that keeps us vital and energized so that we can have a long and healthy life and, and using natural ingredients to kind of support that yeah and as you say it's part two it's yeah the... exactly <laughs> Exactly. Oh, here we go. Look, here we go. Um, so far from madding peeps, I think it's delicious. I don't sweeten it anymore. Oh, really interesting. That's really good to know. Yeah. I mean, one thing I have learned is that every taste bud is, is as individual as everybody. It's been fascinating for, for me because you kind of, um, so, yeah, as I say, some people sort of, depending on what they've eaten, I guess, um, sort of historically, will find it really bitter. Then other people will find it actually really chocolatey and other people will find it really, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, I think that hopefully what we've, we've learned is that because we have such a generous, uh, generous community, like these two lovely ladies that are sharing stuff now, that tends to be the kind of character of the people that buy our blends. And so we've just got this repository of recipes and tips. And so we, we, we make it uh, our, you know, a real effort to, um, to ensure that everyone who takes our blends and wants to be part of this journey has the support they need. Uh, and, and it's people like Lisa and Madding Peeps and people like that who actually help with that because they, they, they know better than I do um, how, how it works best. Oh, I love that. Well, Rebecca, thank you so, so much for this. Um, just where can people find your products? Where can they find out more? Where, how can they access this community that you've created? <laughs> so the easiest way to access is to find us on Instagram. Sophia so it's at Empowder Store and you know our Instagram feed is like a mix of, of almost like microblogs you know scientific research reflections on aging um, tips on on how to nourish your body and mind details about recipes things like that um, and then our store in terms of purchasing you can do that through Instagram as well or you can head to www.empowder.store Wonderful. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, thank you so much. I mean, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Please. Please. It's scary. <laughs> it's not, it, you'll be fine. Yes, you just need to come and join us. Just need to come and join us sooner rather than later. I think that's the thing. You know, these conversations need to happen now. So it's a delight to, to be able to talk to you and to share it. Um, so thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much. And I'll share more information um, on where you can find Rebecca and more information on Empowder as well. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for being here this afternoon. Thank you everybody for joining in and for being active. And I'm going to save it onto the page and people can refer to all of the fantastic information that you've shared with us. You're so knowledgeable. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Lovely to see you. Thanks everyone for joining. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Bye, bye. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as we did. If you can think of anybody else who would benefit from listening too, please share it with them using the social media buttons on this page. And don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes too. For further resources, make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Jura Society. And don't forget to sign up to our quarterly newsletter, The Wealth and Wellness Edit where you'll be the first to gain access to our in-person talks, events, and much, much more. Until next time, see you later. Bye-bye.